Cowboys Sports Corner. I'm Nick Winstead, and I'm joined by... Randall Davis. Randall, how you doing today? You thawed out? I barely. I had a tough time getting down the old driveway the last couple of days. It's a it's a tough one getting in and out of my place, but spent about two hours uh, shoveling yesterday, throwing some salt down, but I'm here. We're ready to go. Yeah, here in uh, East Tennessee, which most of the countries experience this as well, we've had um, highs in the single digits and wind chills like negative 14. So it's something that we're not super used to, but hey, we're thawed out, the sun's out, and we're ready, we are ready to rock and roll. So this week on the corner, we will recap uh, some of the bowl games so far. Um, it's been a, a great, great time starting December 16th. There's been college football and pro football every day since then. We'll talk in depth about the Orange Bowl matchup coming up on Friday night. Recap National Signing Day, a big day for the Vols. We'll also have our weekly segments around the corner, the Power Five, and the Big Boys Corner Picks. So let's get rolling. Jumping right into our bowl game recap. Like like Nick said, it's been a you know a lot of fun. A lot of a lot of football over the last I don't know 12 13 days as of right now in our picks I am 16 and 6 and Nick you are 14 and 8 Oof. so pretty pretty competitive I mean we're we're close and some of those games have been been tight matchups starting up at the top we we started out with the Miami uh, of Ohio versus the Blazers of UAB um that was a game won by UAB, 24 to 20. It was a tight game. I picked UAB there. I believe you picked UAB as well on that I did. one. So, yeah. um, moving down to the next one, we had Troy in a in a low scoring game against UTSA. There, um, Texas San Antonio, a matchup of two, um, you know, ranked teams at the time, um, and, and Troy pulled that one out, 18 to 12. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting game. You've got two, like you said, two double-digit win teams, two ranked teams, two teams that have won their conference championship, and this 18 to 12 score was was not very expected. You had two teams that were UT San Antonio's really good on offense. Troy's also good on offense, uh, but to see an 18 to 12 score was not expected. But you kind of see these things sometimes. Teams have a layoff. Um, Usually with the layoff, defenses play better, but a competitive game otherwise. And then moving down to the Wasabi-Fenway Bowl, really interesting game. Again, we talked about that kind of in depth with just the, you know, you had Fickle leaving Cincinnati, Satterfield leaving Louisville to go to Cincinnati. Right. Um, Dion Branch is the, the interim at Louisville for that game. Um, interesting game. And Louisville pulls out the win, 24 to seven. Always a cool game, just to see. Um, I always like watching watching them play in Fenway. I think mm. it's a pretty cool, yeah. pretty cool little deal seeing that. And um, it was a. I was actually at Black Horse watching that one early. It was an early game. Mm-hmm. I think it came on at 11, and you know, just the first half was very low scoring. You know, ended up only being 31 points scored in the whole game, but. Um, Louisville pulled it out there, and I picked Louisville. You picked Cincinnati in that game. Yeah. Um, so, you know, interesting. 
knew it was going to be a little bit of a, a hard-fought game with, with the coaching changes and especially with one coach going to the other school. And um, Then we had the Cricket Celebration Bowl. And the Cricket Celebration Bowl was one that I didn't – wasn't as aware of until I, you know, kind of looked into it. That's became – and really why I looked into it is I was wondering, why is Jackson State not playing in the playoffs? Why are they not playing in the FCS playoffs? You right. know, they're 12-0 they're and 0 going into that. Obviously, they've had the, the coaching change. Dion finished it out. You know, he, he, he coached in that bowl game. But um, that celebration bowl is, is reserved for um, – the winner of usually the SWAC right. and the winner of the MEAC, mm-hmm. um, you know, the HBCU um, conferences. Um, the big thing I read is it's a it's a money thing. They they That bowl pays pretty well for those schools to go and, and play in it and win it. So North Carolina Central pulled that one out by a touchdown. Um, Dion didn't get to, to finish off that undefeated season, and now he's gone to Colorado and he's taking his son and he's taking Travis Hunter and um, – He's uh, quickly turning Colorado into a, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, he's he's getting some guys over there. Yeah, he's um, at at one point they were 58th. Uh, a debate in the in the sports media was if they could get to the top 50 on signing day. Well, they didn't get to the top 50 on signing day, but since signing day, I believe they're in 40th now. Which honestly, if you think of Colorado. Uh, in football, you don't think of them being in the top half, top quarter of college football recruiting. So even before they've played a game, uh, Coach Prime has made an impact at Colorado. So that's very interesting. Then we had the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl, the Florida Gators and the Oregon State Beavers. Oregon State just laid it to them, 30-3. Yeah. to And – I know you're going to talk a little bit about this, but just you would be hard-pressed to have asked me in the last five or six years, do you think that Oregon State would have beaten Florida by 27 points? You know, Oregon State, good season, ranked 14th going into that game, 10-2. and two, uh, But to win by 27 points is a indication a little bit of where Florida's at, you know. And obviously year one of Billy Napier – are they going to be able to turn things around? Pretty good recruiting class that we'll talk about in a little bit. Right. Some some other things going on from the from the transfer portal, but that's that's not a great way to end your season. No, and that's two years in a row that Florida has finished six and seven. And obviously, being being here in East Tennessee, close to Knoxville, being Tennessee fans, we follow SEC football. And Florida, in our lifetime, obviously they've had Spurrier. Urban Meyer, in our lifetime, has won national championships, been a perennial top ten team, and uh, the last year with Dan Mullen, go six and seven, lose the bowl game. This year, first year with Billy Napier, also go six and seven and get blasted in the bowl game. So it, it begs the question, can Florida build back up? Obviously, like you said, really good recruiting class. I believe they were 12th, somewhere in the top 15. Um, a super fertile recruiting ground. They could just recruit the state of Florida every year and fill a 20-man, 25-man commit class. Um, Obviously, selfishly, I I wouldn't care if Florida stayed 
six and six every year, and Tennessee beat them every year. But is this uh, an indicator of what Florida's going to be? Probably not. I think Billy Napier can build them back up. Can they be a top ten team again? That remains to see. I think Billy Napier is a good coach. Is he a good coach at the SEC level? That's something to track going forward over the next three or four years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's no different than the conversation you have. Anytime a coach from that level, you know, coming from Louisiana, you, you have can X's and O's and all those things are great. Can you recruit? Can you right. get the talent there? Because at the end of the day, you're playing in the SEC. Yeah. Florida is playing right now Georgia, Tennessee. They're playing LSU. They're playing, you know, Auburn. They're playing all these teams that you can't just roll the ball out there. You know, you've got to have the talent. Then you have to develop that talent. Right. So can Billy Napier – first and foremost, continue to put solid recruiting classes together. And we've seen it here at Tennessee. We've seen coaches that had that progression of Butch Jones. Right. He went from Central Michigan to Cincinnati and had success. Yeah. And I think that that, especially at the time of which that happened, very similar top deals, Cincinnati to Tennessee. When Butch Jones got to Tennessee, what did he do well? He recruited well. Yeah. And he did all the mantras, brick by brick and everything like that. And he put together a bunch of good recruiting classes. But what did he never do with those recruiting classes? He never developed fully. He never developed them. Those those guys just he, – he struggled to take those guys and push them further. Right. And so I'm not saying Napier can't do that. But it's, you know, one year in, that's going to be the biggest question is can he do that? Because – like you said, Florida's never going to be a hard school to recruit to. No. You know, you go straight down the interstate there to Gainesville. You know, you've got the entire state of Florida to recruit. You've got Georgia. You've got South Carolina. You can go over into uh, Louisiana pretty easily. It's not a hard state to recruit to. Can you develop those guys once they get there? Then you have the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. Washington State loses to Fresno State 29-6. to the Lending Tree Bowl, Southern Miss beats Rice. Again, we talked a little bit about Rice. Rice going into that game was was five and seven. Um, Rice picks up a grad transfer from uh, JT Daniels. It's like his I don't know twelfth school. Yeah. He's like thirty. I don't know. He's my age. <laughs> but um, so you know, Southern Miss gets a big win there, and then a, a pretty tight game there in the New Mexico Bowl with BYU and SMU twenty four to twenty three. That was a pretty good game there. Um, I picked BYU in that one. I can't remember. If, I think you picked I BYU did, yeah. as well. So, um, And then the Frisco Bowl, you had uh, Boise State against the North Texas Mean Green and, and another tight one, 35-32. The Broncos pull out the win. And then moving down to Myrtle Beach Bowl, Marshall against UConn. UConn gave them a good game. Again, we've we've talked about, you know, UConn, the, what, what a job Jim Moore has done there you know, changing that program, and, and I think that they're going to continue to do well. They've gotten some – off the top of my head, I can't remember the names, but I know I've seen their their name out there for some grad transfers mm-hmm. and some portal guys that they've, they've picked up from some relatively big schools. And so, um, you know, I think they'll continue to improve um, with Jim Mora there. And then the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, Eastern Michigan beat San Jose State. 
41-27. And then a really interesting um, bowl I thought was a good game was the Boca Raton Bowl. Yeah, Toledo picks up the win 21-19 to over Liberty. Uh, Toledo ends up the year 9-5, and Liberty at 8-5. and um, A good competitive game. If you're a fan of offense, this was a really hard game to watch, though. This is one of those games that was on late at night, and I ended up coming back from the gym and just laid in, in, on the couch and watched this game. But not really focusing so much on Toledo, having a good year in the MAC, but more focusing on Liberty. Uh, we know Hugh Freeze left, uh, and the rumors were swirling that he was going to leave, and Liberty collapsed towards the end of the year. Hugh Freeze leaves, goes to Auburn. Liberty brings in Jamie Chadwell, who had done a really good job at Coastal Carolina, um, had had them ranked, double-digit wins, uh, who's a, a local guy to here. Uh, played at Anderson County just up the interstate, played college ball at ETSU, my alma mater, and now has a $4 million a year contract at Liberty. So you think, you look at Liberty, what can Liberty be? They've They've been on this upward trajectory over the last few years, move up from Division I AA to Division I A or FCS to FBS now. Uh, can Liberty be this next Boise State type of team? They've got the money. Uh, they've got the facilities. They've got a good coach. They're paying a good coach. Can they be that type of team that – mid-major group of five team that cracks the top 25, that can win 10 games a year, that can maybe sneak into an upper bowl game. It, it It's an interesting thing to think about, and I think Liberty's putting the money into that, uh, but it'd be interesting, what can Liberty become? Well, I think with Liberty, the, the thing that I, I question is, you know, I, I agree with your points and all of those things. The thing that you haven't seen a ton of outside of Notre Dame is the independents right. having a ton of success just because of scheduling. Right. Does Liberty have the opportunity at some point with this continual, what seems like all the time, conference expansion and conference changing and realignment, right. do they have a chance to join the ACC? You know, if they do – what can that do for them going forward? Right. You know, in football, I certainly think that Liberty over the last few years could have been competitive. I, I don't – I'm not going to say they're going in there and they're competing for the championship. Obviously, Liberty is not Clemson. They are not Pittsburgh. They're right. not UNC. But you get into a conference, and, and you know as well as I do what it means to be in the conference and say, hey, I'm in the ACC. I'm in the yeah. SEC. I'm in the Big Ten how does that affect the other sports? And that's always the question. It's It's been the conversation with Notre Dame for years. Is You know, Notre Dame plays in the – or played in the Big East. I don't even know if the Big East still exists in basketball, but at one point it did. Mm -hmm. You know, they played in the Big East in basketball, but they've been independent for so long in football. And, and I've just thought, why not join the Big Ten? Like, uh, geographically, geographically, perfect sense. You're already playing Michigan. You're already playing Ohio State. Like, just go play those teams. Yeah. And, you know, reap those benefits. Reap those. Now, Notre Dame doesn't need the benefit of, you know, Big Ten network money because they have NBC money. Right. You know, but Liberty could sure benefit from 
ACC network money. Oh, you absolutely. Know? And they're not a school that's poor by any no, means. I mean, no. Liberty University sponsors William Byron 24 races a year. Yeah. Primary sponsorship on that NASCAR. So that's not cheap. No. You know, so they have money. But could they benefit from long-term if they believe in a guy like Jamie Chadwell and they want to keep him around? Because if not – it's going to be a stepping stone for him as well, just yeah. like it has been for Hugh Freeze. Right. Hugh Freeze lost the job, all the reasons we've talked about already, went to Liberty, kind of re, you know, invented himself and, and his image, and, and now he's at Auburn. You yeah. know, and, and what's Jamie Chadwell going to do? He's going to go, and if he has success, the next SEC job or ACC job that comes open, he's going to look and say, well, my resources are a lot more infinite at a place like UNC when Mac Brown retires or, yeah. you know, yeah. with a South Carolina or somewhere like that, you know. So just inter- interesting to see where that goes. Uh, down to the New Orleans Bowl, uh, Western Kentucky, South Alabama. Man, Western Kentucky, they put up some offense. Yeah, they had. 677 total yards of offense. Yeah, they had 410 yards in the first half. They were up 31-3 to on South Alabama. They've got a really good quarterback. Uh, Reed threw for just three shy of 500 yards, four touchdowns. This was a game that really kind of surprised me. You look at Western Kentucky was 8-5. and five. South Alabama was 10-2. and two. Uh, South Alabama was favored. Not by much, but they were a favorite in this game. And I believe I – Pick South Alabama. I think you picked Western Kentucky, so congrats on that. Uh, Tyson Helton, former UT coach, is Western Kentucky's head coach now. But, I, I again, this is one of those games late. I flipped over uh, in the second quarter, and I believe it was like 21 to nothing Western Kentucky. I was like, holy smokes. And I thought, well, South Alabama might come back. Uh, and they started to mount a little comeback, but, man, yeah, Western Kentucky – and that's, again, one of those group of five teams that seems to, for whatever reason, every year have a quarterback that just absolutely slings the tater. Uh, this year they had Reed. They've had um, Zappy, I believe, played at Western Kentucky. They've, they've had guys that have thrown for 60 touchdowns in a season. Uh, that's a, and they've had coaches. I mean, yeah. Jeff Brom was there before he went to Purdue. Mm-hmm. Willie Taggart was there. You know, right now Tyson Helton is there. and There was a little talk that Helton might be the guy to go to Purdue after Brom left to take the Louisville job. Now, they ended up naming Walters their head coach at Purdue. But um, I liked Tyson Helton when he was here. A lot of people didn't. I thought that he was hamstrung a little bit by what Pruitt wanted to do. Yeah, and yeah. you see that a lot. You know, one of the most hated coaches in Tennessee football history from an assistant coaching standpoint is Dave Clawson. You know, right. he came in here and just ruined Tennessee football. Well, look at what Dave Clawson's doing now. Yeah, Dave Clawson's a great absolutely. football coach. Yeah. He's a great offensive mind. Let's be honest, he was doing what Philip Fulmer wanted him to do. Right. And, and that's – when you have the boss telling you, here's what we're going to do, that's what you do. But, you know, sometimes you get hired and, look, Tyson Helton was going to take that job. You know, he, he wanted to go take – be the offensive coordinator at the University of Tennessee and get out of the – you know, that's his big brother, Clay Helton, head, yeah. head coach at USC. Like, eventually, let's get out of being in the limelight of I'm, I'm Clay Helton's little brother. And now he's doing well at Western Kentucky. Interesting to see if he, you know, gets his chance at a 
little bit bigger school here, you know, before too long. A game that we both miserably uh, did not do well on was the Armed <laughs> Forces Bowl. We we both thought Baylor would just come in and out athlete Air Force, and we were wrong. Air Force won that Bad one, thirty to fifteen. Uh, and then down in the Independence Bowl, Houston uh, took care of the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana, twenty three to sixteen. And then in the Gasparilla Bowl, you had the Demon Deacons of Wake Forest took care of Missouri, twenty seven seventeen. Yeah, and with, with Wake Forest, they've had uh, – it seems like Sam Hartman's been there about 18 years, which now he's going elsewhere, and we'll talk about him in depth a little bit later on. Uh, but Wake Forest is a team, like we said, you know, Dave Clawson has done well with that program. That's a team that in the when I was in high school in the mid-2000s had a stretch where they were – won the ACC, I believe, you know, 10-11 wins – uh, but he's done a, a really nice job with Wake Forest. That's not a school you think of and think, oh, Wake Forest football. Uh, but he's kind of put them on the map, had them ranked. This year, kind of a little down year, 7-5 and five in the regular season. But they take care of Missouri um, out of the SEC. Missouri, again, a school that, man, if they could find some offense, I think they could be pretty good. Um, they've got a, a pretty good ranked defense nationally and in the SEC, but, man, they just can't score points. So, yeah, Wake Forest takes care of Missouri Tigers 27-17. to In the easy post-Hawaii Bowl, you had the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders out of Murfreesboro get the win over San Diego State. That was the one I picked San Diego State in. It was a tight game, 25-23. Uh, MTSU pulled that one out. In the quick lane bowl, you had Bowling Green um, lose to New Mexico State 24-19. Just a – Really good job by New Mexico State getting a bowl win. Yeah. You know, a team we talked about that just hadn't won a, won a whole lot of football over the last 10, 15 years. And, um, Jerry Keel is, is the head coach out there now, former Minnesota head coach, doing a good job out there getting them a, getting them a bowl win. The Camellia Bowl had Georgia Southern uh, pitted against Buffalo, and Buffalo pulled out the win by two. Tight game, pretty good game there. Um, then you had the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl, Memphis Tigers, big win over Utah State by 28. They won 38-10. to 10. And then you also had uh, a butt kicking by the East Carolina Pirates. I, I was wrong on that one. Coastal Carolina lost that one 53-29 to 29 to East Carolina. And then this morning, <laughs> even though the game started yesterday, out in Arizona, the guaranteed rate bowl, you had the Wisconsin Badgers uh, beat Oklahoma State 24-17. And an interesting thing, I, I didn't realize it until I kind of looked into it this morning, uh, Fickle coached that game. Oh. Um, you know, you don't, you don't see that all the no. time new coach and a lot of times they come in and they start working with him but he was on the sideline he was he was coaching he was the head coach and you know so um gets his first win as a badger so yeah and that's a that's a team that we talked about with with fickle going to wisconsin is a team that we both feel can compete in the in a pretty weak big 10 west like we said purdue won it this year at eight and four um so that's a that's a big first win uh, for Fickle at Wisconsin. And on the flip side, Oklahoma State, man, they unraveled badly. Now, obviously, their quarterback got hurt, uh, but, you know, finished the year 7-6, and six, 
Um, a team that in the past, you know, since Gundy's been there since, gosh, I think 2007, he's been there, a team that puts up points. And towards the end of the year, this game, they put up 17. They scored 10 in the fourth quarter. So really, you know, in, in what you might call garbage time, they scored uh, 10 to make it 17 in this bowl game. But, you know, that's a team that had a bad year by their uh, by their history and by their expectations. So that's all the bowl games that have happened. What we're going to do now is, Nick, I want you to tell us the three bowl games that are left outside of the New Year Six Bowls because we've talked a lot about those and we will, we will talk about the national championship game probably next week. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Orange Bowl today. But outside of the New Year Six Bowls, tell me your three bowl games that are left that you're most intrigued by. Well, first you got the Alamo Bowl. You've got Texas basically playing a home game in San Antonio against Washington. Texas is ranked number uh, ranked 20th, 8-4 and four on the year. Washington had a really good quiet, in the national sports media, quiet year. You know, they play out on the West Coast, Pac-12 after dark, so they're not on national TV where a lot of eyes are seeing them a lot, but they, they finished at 10-2, and two, and they're number 12 in the country. Uh, very good transfer quarterback, Michael, Michael Penix Jr. coming from Indiana. Threw for almost 4,400 yards this year. Led the uh, nation in passing yards. So um, this is an intriguing game to me is that can Washington get that 11th win? Penix is coming back next year. Maybe set themselves up to compete with USC in the Pac-12. Uh, and then Texas, the two UTs, Tennessee and Texas, and this – pains me to say as a Tennessee fan, but the, the talk around both of these schools is always, can they be back? Can they be back? We really, you think about Tennessee, and we can deep dive into that, Tennessee being at 10-2, and two, ranked number one at one point this year, number six right now, they kind of seem to be back. Texas, for every preseason hype that they have, they're eight and four. Uh, have a really good running back, Bijan Robinson. He's not playing in this game. They've had really poor quarterback play with McEwers and, and the other quarterback they've kind of rotated in and out, not really had good quarterback play. Uh, I think this could be if Texas could pull this game out, have a nine-win season, beat a top-15 team in the bowl game, could be a step forward for them. All that being said, I think we've both picked the Huskies. I think we've both picked Washington in this game. But it's an intriguing game to me going going into this one. My my most uh, number one intriguing game, uh, I think it's North Carolina Oregon. Uh, I know that's probably a, a one that's on your list. But, yeah. You know, you got a nine and four North Carolina team with Drake May at quarterback, and um, a nine and three Oregon team with Bo Nix, who's coming back. Yeah. You know, uh, a guy who could have potentially been probably a first three-round draft pick. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, he wasn't one of these top four or five quarterbacks that they were talking about in the first round, but somebody who most, you know, certainly was going to get drafted. And, um, so I think this is a, a game that if you like offense, you definitely need to tune in. They're going to score some points. So um, my most intriguing of the ones left is the Holiday Bowl. 
My second most intriguing is, and this is probably a little unconventional, but Oklahoma versus Florida State. Mm. You know, Oklahoma finished the season six and six, Florida State nine and three. I think it's an interesting game because we're going to see can Oklahoma carry a little momentum into the offseason? Mm. You know, year one, new coach, first, you know, it, it's always Lincoln Riley really had things rolling there, right? Yeah. Um, you lose all the guys that you lost. Um, losing Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler transferred last year probably before the year was over last year, announced that he was going to transfer. But you get Gabriel. Um, I, I just think it's going to be interesting to see, can they carry a little momentum? Now, I know they've had some guys opt out, just like every other team in the country. Right. Eric Gray, um, former UT running back, who's still trying to claim he's a ball for life. I'm going to go ahead and revoke <laughs> that ball for life card from you there, Mr. Gray. But um, he opted out. But he wasn't their biggest contributor. Um but I think it'll be a good game. I picked Oklahoma in this one. I think it's a toss-up, but I'm interested to see how the Cheez-It Bowl goes. What's your second most intriguing? I think uh, you look at Texas Tech and Ole Miss in the – sorry, I've got to find the name of the bowl game here. My apologies. The Texas Bowl. The Texas Bowl. So, Texas Tech and Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a three-and-a-half point favorite. I think that's a little low. Um, Texas Tech seven and five playing in the Big Twelve, Ole Miss eight and four, but playing in the SEC. Uh, a team that last year won ten games, kind of overachieved a little bit, and this year maybe uh, kind of came down back to earth uh, to finish eight and four. Now eight and four at Ole Miss is not a bad season. Uh, historically, they've had before last year had one ten win season. And that's with Eli Manning and, and, and Cutcliffe uh, at, at Ole Miss. But this is a game that's intriguing to me. Can Ole Miss get that ninth win? They've got a really good freshman running back. Quinshawn Johnson had almost 1,500 yards and 16 touchdowns. Dart was hit or miss. Some games played really well. Some games looked absolutely terrible. Um, it was semi-rumored in the offseason that that Lane Kiffin might go to Auburn. Obviously, he's going to stay at Ole Miss. Uh, but that's an intriguing bowl to me is can Ole Miss, again, win that bowl game, get that ninth win, and can they going forward be one of the top three teams in the West? Obviously, I know Alabama didn't win the West this year. They're still the top dog in the West. You've got LSU who won the West, who's probably, again, had a top ten recruiting class, is going to be good going forward. Hugh Freeze coming into Auburn, you think obviously they're going to be pretty good. Um, can Ole Miss solidify that top three status in the West? Uh, that's an intriguing bowl game to me. My last intriguing bowl game, um, a matchup of two six and six teams, you kind of look at that and say, well, that's not very interesting, right? right. But Kansas-Arkansas and AutoZone Liberty Bowl uh, out there in Memphis, I, I just think that you got two teams that, A, geographically, there's going to be a little bit of, you know, um, it makes sense for them to play. They're right. playing in Memphis. Jalen Daniels, K.J. Jefferson, um, both of those guys should be playing. K.J. Jefferson's already announced he's coming back. 
we know Arkansas is going to play a rough, nitty gritty. Yeah. You know, Sam Pittman's a, an O line guy. He he wants to he wants to grind it out. They're gonna they're gonna try to score some points, but um, Kansas has been really good with Lance Leopold. Um, so my last one there that I'm I'm really interested to watch, and that's today at five thirty is. Um, Today is we're recording on Wednesday, so it'll already have happened when you all hear this. Um, is the AutoZone Liberty Bowl? And by the way, Advanced Auto Parts is way better than AutoZone. This is not a paid endorsement. <laughs> Advanced Auto Parts sponsor the Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney. Uh, my last game, and this is not so much uh, talking about two teams that are pretty good. Not so much talking about a bowl game that could be entertaining. It's just how. How bad offensively can this bowl game be? It is the Music City Bowl in our beautiful capital in the state of Tennessee, Nashville, which I've, I've been to the Music City Bowl. Nice bowl game. You're playing the Nashville. Nashville's always a fun time. But you've got Iowa coming out of the Big Ten at 7-5 and five, and Kentucky coming out of the SEC at 7-5. and five. Um, Kentucky's two biggest offensive weapons, Will Levis, Quarterback has opted out, and for whatever reason, again, and we, and going forward, we're going to talk a lot more about the draft coming up in the spring. But Will Levis has been tied to go to the Colts somewhere in the top five. And if you've watched SEC football, if you've watched Kentucky football, if you watched the Kentucky Tennessee game this year, I've got major questions about Will Levis. But anyway, he's opted out. Their running back, Chris Rodriguez, who is a good running back, has also opted out. And I'm not sure if Iowa scored more than 30 points once this year. Maybe once. Uh, the over-under in this game is 31. Uh, Iowa's a two-point favorite. And, uh, yeah, this is a snooze fest. If you want to take a trip, people listening to us here in East Tennessee, to go to the Music City Bowl, tickets are as low as $17. So that kind of tells you what kind of bowl game this is going to be. Give me the under in this game. Uh, I'm going to be surprised if it's 28 points. 10 to 7. Oof. Oof. I'm going to pass. Hard pass. So that's it for us today on our recap of the bowl games that have already happened, some of the ones we're intrigued by um, outside of the New Year's Six Bowl, kind of going forward the rest of this bowl season. Um, So we're going to shift into our Orange Bowl discussion. So, yeah, this is a bowl game that obviously we're very interested in, and I think nationally um, this is a bowl game that a lot of people who are not Clemson fans, who are not Tennessee fans, are interested in. Tennessee's back in a New Year Six, what in the, in the old school you call a BCS-type bowl, back in the Orange Bowl. Um, not been to the Orange Bowl since Peyton's senior year in the, the 97 season, the 98 bowl game. Um, and Clemson has been playing in the college football playoff. Has won national championships in the past six, seven years. So this is a game that obviously both of us are very interested in, and I think, again, nationally people are interested in. What is Tennessee going to be going forward? Um, people are wanting to see that. Clemson now is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Open at a seven, which we both thought was just – astronomically high. Uh, Clemson's now a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, both teams, like every college football team outside of Alabama, it seems, has opt-outs. Um, we've already talked about 
Jalen Hyatt, Blitnikoff winner, has opted out for Tennessee. Cedric Tillman, really good wide receiver who's been injured a big part of this year, is not playing. Jeremy Banks, uh, Tennessee linebacker, has, has opted out and is entering the draft. Uh, Clemson, Miles Murphy, who on some draft boards I've seen going fourth overall, really good defensive end, is not playing. Trenton Simpson, another really good linebacker for Clemson, is also not playing. Uh, so you've got some opt-outs on both sides. I think maybe that's why the line has moved a little bit in Tennessee's favor is that Clemson's strength, and we'll talk about this as we go forward, has been defensively, and they're, they're probably their best player, period. Definitely their best defensive player in Miles Murphy. Defensive end has opted out. So the line's moved a little bit. Um, two teams that have – conceivably new quarterbacks playing. Joe Milton has started at Tennessee last year in, in 2021, started the season as as the as QB1, started the game against Vanderbilt this year. Clemson has Kate Klubnick, who has not started a game. Didn't start, played obviously the majority of the ACC title game, but didn't start that game. So you've got two new uh, quarterbacks that are uh, going to be playing for Clemson and Tennessee here. Um, just in the battle of the quarterbacks, I would I would take Joe Milton. Joe Milton has had more experience this year, has played uh, in, in multiple games, has one start. In six games this year, he has 100-plus passing yards. So he's, he's had more playing time. He has more experience than Cade Klubnick. Cade Klubnick, uh, before – the ACC title game where he was through 24 passes had a high of five passes in a game. So you've got, talking about quarterback, Joe Milton is more experienced than Cade Klubnick. I think Cade Klubnick going forward is going to be a really good quarterback for Clemson. Um, he seems to be able to complete a pass, whereas the previous Clemson quarterback had a hard time doing that sometimes. So – uh, I think going forward, he's going to be good for Clemson. Uh, but in this game, I would I would give the edge to, to Tennessee with Joe Milton. What do you what do you see with uh, the two quarterbacks here with Milton and Klubnick? Yeah, I mean, I think experience. Hey, you know, experience lends a lot to a game like this. Um, you know, you look at Klubnick's stats on the year: thirty-one of forty-six for three hundred seventy-seven yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. He's rushed 22 times for 88 yards. So, he, you know, he had a 16-yarder. He's had one touchdown running the ball. I think that Klubnik is a very talented young man. I just think that the thing that it's going to come down to from the quarterback standpoint, can Joe Milton hit a few of the deep balls? Absolutely. I think that what we have seen in Joe Milton's time this year Joe Milton loves to throw the ball to Squirrel White. Yeah. Even when he played mop-up duty or came in, he seemed to prefer to throw the ball to him more than he, anyone else. Yeah. Brew McCoy, Ramel Keaton, whoever it be, Jalen Hyatt. Um, so, I think that that experience – Milton takes care of the ball. He's hard to bring down. He runs the football well. I mean, Milton – seven carries for 72 yards on the year, well, he's barely even had to run the ball. Right. And I think that that's definitely going to be a part of the game plan. Um, this morning on the radio I heard 
one of the Clemson's players in, in uh, a press media thing they were having said that he was extremely shocked at Tennessee's pace in practice. So Clemson's obviously been working on that. Yeah. And I actually think that Milton moves the offense faster than Hooker does. I think so, and too. And I, I, I noticed that in all of his games last year that he played and this year, he just seems to get the signals in and go. He doesn't – He doesn't. there's no hesitation for him. Now, is that always a good thing? Not necessarily. But um, I think that the pace is going to help them. When it comes to throwing the football, he's going to have Ramel Keaton, Squirrel White, Brew McCoy, Princeton Fant, you know, Jacob Warren. He's going to have all those guys to throw to. It's certainly not going to help not having Jalen Hyatt. I mean, right. he's the Blitnikoff Award winner for a reason. But we still have a talented receiving core for him to throw to. And three running backs out of the backfield that are really good, you yeah. know. And, look, Clemson's got Will Shipley, who ran for 1,100 yards, 5.8 yards a carry. But if you look at the stat, and DJ Uangalale, who's no longer there, ran for 545. And he's their number two rusher. And their backup running back ran for 476. Well, Jalen Wright ran for 786. Small ran for 696. Sampson ran for 400. Yeah. So, Tennessee can run the football. Yeah. And And I think they're going to run the football. And, look, that's what Clemson's defense is best at, is stopping the run. But we just talked about it. They have two opt-outs. Miles Murphy a top five pick in the draft projected by everybody. And um, Trenton Simpson, correct? Yes. Uh, Trenton Simpson, who is their second leading tackler, 73 tackles on the year, two and a half sacks. Um, You know, a guy that is a difference maker. You know, so I think that they're going to come in with a game plan of run the ball, make the short throws, pace them to death and be able to make that long throw to Squirrel Wide or Brew McCoy when you need to. Yeah. And you you mentioned it just a second ago, talking about the Clemson defensive player uh, commenting on Tennessee offensively and their speed. We both know as as, as high school football coaches and, and guys that have played high school football, it is really hard to replicate an offense in practice. Uh, especially an offense that moves this quickly with this much athleticism and this much talent, you can't replicate that. You can't replicate speed. You can't replicate how fast they come in out of the huddle, how fast they get the play in, how fast they line up, how fast they snap the ball. You can't replicate those things. So I think Clemson, even though they're they're a good defensive unit, they're 25th in the nation in total defense, I think they're going to have a hard time keeping pace with Tennessee's offense. And you talk about some guys for Tennessee's offense. Yeah, obviously Jalen Hyatt not playing. uh, That's almost 1,300 yards receiving and 15 touchdowns that are out. But even without that, you've got Brew McCoy who had 619 yards and three touchdowns on the year. You've got Ramel Keaton, nearly 500 yards and four touchdowns. Princeton Fant later on in the year really came on. Squirrel White, who we you mentioned, seems to be one of Joe Milton's favorite targets, fast as lightning, 17.8 yards per catch. Um, and then I think back, I was thinking about this this morning when I was working on notes. The, the final drive in the Tennessee-Alabama game where Tennessee had the two plays to set up the field goal, who were the two guys that caught passes? Brew McCoy and Ramel Keaton. Two huge passes 
and those two guys are playing. Then you talk about Tennessee's running backs. Uh, with You mentioned the yards, but Jay, let's talk touchdowns. Jalen Wright has 10 touchdowns on the ground. Jabari Small has 12 touchdowns. Dylan Sampson, who played pretty sparingly, had six touchdowns. And don't forget about the touchdown machine, Princeton fan. Line him up at fullback. Six carries, five touchdowns. It's, yeah, it's absolutely. almost automatic. Yeah, yeah. He's like Mike Vrabel. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think here's what it comes down to. We talk about Tennessee's pace. Well, not having Miles Murphy and Trenton Simpson is going to be a huge deal. Yeah. Losing those two is much more detrimental than Tennessee losing Jeremy Banks. Absolutely. And I think Jeremy Banks is a really big piece to what Tennessee's defense can be. People can talk about the South Carolina game over and over. Jeremy Banks not being there is what lost in the game. That's not true. No, he what didn't. What lost get... in the game is that South Carolina scored 60-something points. Right. That was not Jeremy Banks. No. no. Now, you miss a player like that and whatever happened. We weren't there. Who knows? Right. It, it can spiral, right? But when you play a team like Tennessee who runs such a fast-paced offense and you're missing an inside linebacker like Simpson and you're missing your star defensive end who probably makes your defensive line shifts and your calls. Correct. Yeah. Then that's a big deal. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that someone else can't do it. But there's a reason those guys do that. And yeah. there's a reason those guys are projected to go in the NFL draft. And so I think that Juwan Mitchell and Aaron Beasley can step up in Banks' place. Solon Page can be the backup there. Um, what, what it's going to come down to is if, if Clemson comes into this game saying, I'm going to throw the football, can Tennessee's defensive secondary do anything to stop it? Right. Can Trey Flowers and, and Tank do a good job in the back end? Can, can the corners, whoever that may be, hopefully they've gotten healthy. So is it a combination of Kamal Haddon and Brandon Turnage and Deshaun Rucker with Tamarian McDonald at the nickel? A combination of those four guys playing those three positions. Can they Have they gotten better over the last month? That's what this month's been about, right? Right, right. Um, getting young guys in there and getting them more reps. But that's what it's going to come down to is they're going to come into this game wanting to throw the football. I mean, Klubnik is a very talented, uh, you know, throwing the football type quarterback. So they're going to want to throw the football. Can we do enough to slow them down? And can we – can Tennessee play the style of offense that, that can control the ball but pace them as well? And right. I think they can. They're going to run the ball. Milton's going to run the ball. But they're still going to make those throws and pace them enough that – they're going to be on their heels, and I think that's a, a big key because that's how you're going to win this game. You're not going to win this game by – I don't think you're going to win this game by outscoring them just throwing the ball all over right. the place. You're going to have to be able to set the pace up front running it and hope that you can slow them down enough on defense. Yeah, and I think uh, a game plan that you'll see offensively for Tennessee in this game is similar to what you saw against Vanderbilt. Now, I – completely understand a 5-7 and seven Vanderbilt team is not the ACC champion Clemson Tigers. Not saying that at all. But what Tennessee did offensively against Vanderbilt, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. I think Milton had 20 attempts in the game. Um, and towards the end of the game, we, we were texting, and even Jordan Rogers on, on the call commented on it. 
it was like Tennessee wasn't even trying to score and score 80-yard run, 70-yard run. At one point, Dylan Sampson busts an 80-yard run, and Jordan Rodgers goes, oh, my God. Like, it was just the, the seas parted. So I think you'll see a very similar style of game plan to that to run the ball to set up the pass. And I think and, – and, and the reason being is you're talented up front. I yeah. mean, across the board from left to right – and it really doesn't matter. I mean, left tackle, they've been a little bit of a rotation there for injuries and trying to figure out who the best guy is between Crawford and, and Mincy. But outside of that, Carvin, May, Spragans, and Darnell Wright have been solid all year. Yeah. They're really good in pass protection, but they can maul when they want to maul. And yeah. against Vanderbilt, they decided, we're going to maul people. And are they going to do that against Clemson? Not every play, but they're going to open holes. Yeah. And, man, the one thing Tennessee's running backs do is they run hard. Mm-hmm. Jalen Wright can run. I've told people that, you know, obviously I have a track background from being a track coach, and I'm one of those track nerds that always likes to look at stats. Jalen Wright was like a 10-5 kid in high school. He can run run. Yeah, that's fast. And, but what he also does is he doesn't go down. I mean, yeah. he always fights for yards. Jabari Small is like a bowling ball. And, and Sampson runs hard. So, if they give them creases, they're going to get yards. It's just, you know, come in with that game plan of set the tone up front and let Milton be comfortable back there making throws. Don't rely – I don't think we need to get into the game plan of relying on Milton throwing the ball to win the game. Right, right. But I think the other thing, really my last point to this game that people are – not forgetting about, but it just hadn't been talked about enough, is Alex Golish is gone. Josh Heupel is going to be calling plays in this game. Mm-hmm. I think people forget how good he is at calling plays. Yeah, yeah. At When he was at Utah State and when he was at Missouri and when he was calling plays at UCF, there was really not many better in the country at it. No. And Alex Golish has done a really good job. Now, you had some guys that were out there making it look easy, right? Mm-hmm. But people, one of the one of the things that people tried to use against Hyatt and the Blitnikoff was, well, he was just wide open all the time. Well, he's also runs a 4-3, okay? Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. that helps. But, um, yeah, that's a, that's a credit to the coaches of getting yeah. him open. Yeah. But Heupel can call an offense, and I'm interested to see, you know, Halsey will be in the sky, be in his eyes, but, but Heupel's going to call the plays, and I'm interested to see – how the flow is and what the change looks like and how much differently he calls the game. The thing that he used to do at UCF a lot that I haven't seen Tennessee do as much over the last couple of years is if they popped off a six- or seven-yard run, they would just repeat. Yeah. I mean, they would be right back on the ball and run the same play. Mm-hmm. And and that was a, you know, Tennessee hasn't done a ton of that, but interested to see does Tennessee go back to that with Hypel calling the plays of just – you know, that's a pacing thing. If they have to look over and get one signal and they're back on the ball and, and run the same play and, and pop off another six, you know, you can you can get defense on their heels pretty quick that way. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point, and I think that's something to to watch, and I think that's something we'll see with, with Hypel calling plays here. So, to wrap up, talking about the Orange Bowl here, uh, we, we both made our picks – earlier when we picked all the bowl games, but I'm going to give a score. So I'm going to go Vols 38, Clemson 31. What do you got? 
I'm taking Tennessee. Something tells me it's going to be a little lower scoring game. And I'm not saying like 17 to 14. Right. Tennessee 27, Clemson 24. Hey, I will take a two to nothing Tennessee win. That's correct. Go balls. <laughs> Go balls. All right, we're going to move into our signing day recap. So, obviously, recruiting has changed a ton over the last, gosh, four or five years, you know, with these, these new recruiting days. And, and, you know, now we have a signing day that happens in December. You know, back in the day, I, mean, I remember being in high school and coming right out of high school. I mean, you couldn't wait for February. Yeah. You were sitting there as a Tennessee fan or whatever school you were a fan of just waiting for those, you know, Army All-American games and all those to see who was going to commit, who was actually going to sign. And But now they have this early signing period. and So the top ten finished up as follows. Number one recruiting class, I feel like this is just a broken record. You yeah. could probably say this a lot. Alabama finishes number one. Georgia, two, Texas, a team we talked about, um, you know, are they back? Well, they finished number three in the recruiting. So, yeah, that's, that's a good start for them. And obviously having, you know, Arch Manning as your five-star quarterback signing there helps. But, yeah, they had a, had a good recruiting class. Number I three. He's a bust. Is... I hope he's a bust. <laughs> number four, Miami. Number five, Oklahoma. Six, Ohio State. Seven, LSU. Eight, Notre Dame. Nine, Tennessee, and ten, Clemson. The rest of the SEC, you had Florida who finished 12th, Texas A&M 13th, South Carolina 16th, Auburn 20th, Arkansas 21st, Mississippi State 24th, Missouri 31st, Kentucky 32nd, Ole Miss 36th. That surprised me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that, that's low. And Vanderbilt 51st. So looking at that, Tennessee – Finishes ninth, top ten class. That's really good. Right. They finished fourth in the SEC. Well, in a couple of years, they'll finish sixth in the SEC. Yeah. With Texas and Oklahoma in there. But, look, right now you're finishing top four, top five in the SEC. That's pretty good. You're second in the East. That, yeah. That's, that's the kind of classes you want to be bringing in. Um, you know, you're, you're ahead of the Floridas. You're ahead of the South Carolinas. You're ahead of Missouri, Kentucky. Um you know, that, that's a big deal. Um, that's how you continue to build a program, right? The We've talked a lot about it is can you get the kids here first and foremost. The one thing I think we've seen is Josh Heupel can coach football. Yeah. Is, it a, is, it a, is it a specific type of brand? Maybe. I don't think they're a – you know, what's the word for it? Are, are they a – like – a lot of talk about Hooker. Is he a system quarterback? Right. I, I don't necessarily think that. I, I mean, I think that, you know, they play a specific type of football, right? But he, he did a lot of things that a lot of other quarterbacks don't do. Took care of the ball. But they have a lot of good coaches. They continue to bring really good classes in and, and develop them. That's how Tennessee continues to finish 10-2, 11-1, right. get themselves into that um, – conversation um anything that you saw on signing day that stuck stuck out you know obviously if you talk about and we're going to spend time talking about tennessee's recruiting class they had 25 commits 15 early enrollees and that's huge these are guys that are already on campus they're enrolled they they get to go through spring practice which is huge but even bigger than that they get to go through bowl practice 
that's 15 extra practices that these other cats don't get. And that's that's a benefit, one, of getting a bowl game is you get more practice. But you also get to get your early enrollees more reps uh, in a practice setting. So 25 commits, 15 early enrollees. If you break it down by stars, uh, the Tennessee had one five-star, Nico. We're going to have to learn how to say his last name over the next few years. I'm a Leva, maybe? Bob Kessling's going to have a hard time with that name. Correct. <laughs> We're just going to say Nico for now. Nico's your five-star quarterback, number one quarterback in the country. That's big time. Uh, but then you, you break it down further, you've got 12 four-stars and 12 three-stars. So, yes, you want your five-star commits. And Alabama and Georgia, they roll those in like, like nobody's business. But you make your living with four-star and three-star guys. And Tennessee had a pretty good crop with that. You think about positions of need going forward. Uh, at the wide receiver, uh, they got a four-star Nathan Leacock out of North Carolina who's 6'3", 200. That's a big receiver coming out of college. It's almost a direct replacement for Cedric Tillman. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that, that was what I found interesting looking at these is we kind of talked and, and we both made our notes, but what I wrote down was what spots do they need to fill. Yeah. Backup quarterback. Now, does that mean Nico has to be that? No. That could be Taven Jackson. Right. Um, they could look at the grad transfer uh, transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be Nico. Wide receivers, obviously you're losing Jalen Hyatt. You're losing Cedric Tillman. Tight end, you're losing Princeton Fant. Jacob Warren, I, I read the other day, not sure if he's going to return. Um, linebackers, you know, obviously you're losing Jeremy Banks. Yeah. I don't know about Jawan Mitchell. I I thought he was a senior, but the COVID year gets, you know, it's kind of hard. To, right. Um, and then defensive backs, you know, and the biggest reason there is I don't think you're losing a ton. You know, Trey Flowers is a senior. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest thing is they're, they weren't very good this year. Right. Well, I found it interesting you go look at their top five or six guys. Quarterback, mm-hmm. edge rusher, so defensive line. That, that one wasn't. A direct need, but, yeah, you're losing By- but you're losing Byron Young. So right. there's a guy who can doesn't necessarily step right in, but you know his brother's on the team, Elijah Herring, yeah. guy out of Riverdale. But you got a receiver, Nathan Leacock, who again six three, two hundred pounds. He's almost a direct replacement for what Cedric Tillman is. Right, Arion Carter out of Smyrna, out of here here in, in Middle Tennessee, a linebacker. There, there's there's one of your needs. Yeah, Jordan that, Matthews out of out of Louisiana, cornerback that you know fits that defensive need. Yeah, six foot one cornerback. That's that's a big corner. So you know their top guys in the class. I mean, literally in the top ten, their top ten or eleven rated guys are the biggest positions of right. needs. Guys that, and that's what those four and five star guys are. Yeah, your three star guys and your your lower rated four star guys are guys that. You want to come in and redshirt and develop and, mm-hmm. and get in the weight room and do all those things and play as the end of their sophomore years and as juniors and seniors. These these highly rated four star and five star guys are guys that you're in this day and age expecting to come in and play. Right. Well, they've addressed all these real needs that they have, and that's what I think is interesting about um, their their recruiting class. I mean, they got an offensive tackle out of Alpharetta, six six three thirty seven. Yeah. yeah. Don't know a thing about the kid. I, I can't even say his name. Umarov. Yeah, originally from Denmark. 
six six three thirty seven. That's a good looking kid. Yeah, and then another guy that is uh, an offensive lineman coming from Hutchinson Community College, Larry Johnson the third is six six three forty. He's a big boy. Yeah. Hey, he could be on the big boy sports corner. He could. We can get these guys in. So, you know, and then you go further than just what they've done on this, and you look at what they've done in a transfer. Right. Um, you know, they got the tight end from UC Davis who will, will fill a direct need at the tight end position on top of the tight end Ethan Davis, who is a 6'5", 230-pound kid who has a – ton of division one basketball yeah. offers yeah number six tied in i mean a kid that can play play basketball so yeah. that tells you he's an athlete absolutely um you know david hobbs defensive lineman who, who's i think their second or third highest rated player in the, in the class um cam selden out of virginia an athlete could play running back could mm-hmm. play receiver they got a tackle from texas yes. in the, as a as a transfer portal guy yeah. so Tennessee really did a good job of filling, I think, what was a lot of needs. There's not one that you look at that says, man, that's just a blaring hole right. that, that jumps out, and I think they did a good job of filling them. Yeah, another um, key hole that they feel that's going to be immediate, uh, we talked about Jeremy Banks declaring for the draft, is they got a uh, grad transfer from BYU, Keenan Pilly, 6'3", 237, linebacker, three-year starter at BYU, Made a ton of plays, team captain, immediate day one, game one starter at linebacker for Tennessee. And he's like 25. Yeah. 24, 25. And I don't say that in a bad way. Like, so he went to BYU and then went into the mission yeah. with yeah. the Church of Latter-day Saints and um, then came back and played. But being 24, 23, 24, 25 years old in this, this day and age of college football – the experience yes. that that lends to you. I mean, look at Hooker. Yeah. Hooker was 25. Look at Stetson, and Stetson Bennett. Bennett. Like, yeah. That experience of the maturity that comes with that, that you don't have at 18, you just don't have it. Right. Is going to pay dividends. But also, he's a good-looking kid. 6'3", yeah. two, 240. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a really, really good hole that he's going to fill. And then you get some of these young guys to come in and, and – uh, you know, give you some valuable reps as well. I think you look at the rest of the recruiting rankings, I think the one we, we already hit on a little bit, but Colorado up to, as of right now, 43rd. Yeah. That's not counting their transfer guys. Mm-hmm. Travis Hunter has, has transferred. He was the number one overall player a couple of years ago. That Maybe it was last year that went down there to Jackson State. Obviously, Shadur Sanders, yeah. who is a really good quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he will be really good at Colorado. Um, really interested to see where Colorado goes. I think that Dion's got a chance to to uh, do some things there. And and I don't know if you saw this. This is a little tangent, but did you see who got hired at Bethune Cookman? I did. Ed, Ed Reed. Reed. Yeah. You know, just that. I, I think that places are seeing now again Bethune Cookman, HBCU college. Right. You know. It's a good fit for Ed Reed, but I think that these colleges are seeing, hey, let's bring this guy in. He is – I mean, Ed Reed's arguably one of the best safeties of all time. Absolutely. And see what just his name lends to it. Well, also, he's been at Miami for the last three years. Right. Helping in their program. He was assistant defensive backs coach at Buffalo. 
So he's not just a scrub when it comes to football. And, again, he's arguably one of the best safeties that's ever played. So interesting to see how that goes and, and how uh, some of these things shape out. But, you know, just from a recruiting standpoint, really, really cool to see Tennessee get into the top ten, second in the SEC East. Um, and interesting to see where the, the next class ends up. You know, they've already got a couple big commits right. in the 2024 class. Um, so, And a, another guy that we failed to mention – uh, that has signed with, with Tennessee, had originally committed to Coastal Carolina, uh, and it came down to Tennessee and Appalachian State, is a, a local guy, Deshaun Bishop, uh, running back at Carnes, that I had the unfortunate uh, pleasure of coaching against in 2021 when I was at a previous school, and he ran for about 8 million yards on us, which he ran for about 8 million yards on everybody. He's the number two all-time rusher in the state of Tennessee. Behind Troy Fleming, I was correct. about to ask who is number one. Troy Fleming, Troy. ball for life. That's right. So that's another uh, a local pickup that obviously is a great athlete. But last thing about recruiting is that you can throw four star, five star, three stars out, and everything. And we've already touched on it. Is how well can you develop uh, the players that come into your program? Butch Jones had great recruiting classes. Brought five-star, four-star talent in all the time, kind of failed to develop those players. You kind of see a lot of players that played at Tennessee that had decent careers, they go to the NFL and they're starters for years. We were talking about Shy Total the other day. He's been playing for New Orleans and starting for New Orleans basically his whole career. So it really comes down to can you develop these players that come into your program? And I really think that's something that this staff and Hypo thrives on is that developing these players. You can kind of see it already with players that were in the program that had been there, and when these guys come in, Jalen Hyatt was nothing. And then comes in, wins a Blitnikoff. Cedric Tillman barely had any catches and then has a 1,200-yard year. So I think you we've got a staff and you've got guys that can develop players, and that's key. To, to being successful at the college football level. I mean, look at Hennon Hooker at Virginia Tech. Yeah. He didn't even win the job here last year. And, look, I, I had this conversation with you and some of our other friends. Like, I was a Joe Milton guy. Yeah. I was all in on Joe Milton. And I ate crow on that after Hooker came in and did what he did. But, you know, Hooker was unimpressive at Virginia Tech. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't a guy that you thought was going to be in the Heisman conversation. He wasn't ACC player of the year. Correct. You know, and then he turns around and does what he does. and That has to be – there has to be something said for that, right? That has to be something to do with the coaching. And so, well, that's it for our recruiting uh, recap. Um, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with Around the Corner. Welcome back into Around the Corner. Today we're going to talk about our local high school basketball teams. We've got some really good uh, basketball here just in Blunt County uh, with, with here at Eagleton, with Maryville, William Blunt, Heritage Alcoa. So we're going to spend a little time talking about uh, just how our local county high school basketball teams are doing. Here at Eagleton, okay, we've got, 
we had Scott West on the program last week. Really great interview. If you've not got the chance to check that out, I, I highly encourage you to go listen to what Coach West has to say. But here at Eagleton, we're, we're a new school. Uh, we're expanding to uh, be 6 through 12. Right now we've got ninth and 10th graders. So we're playing a JV season. We've got three wins on the season so far, and we've been competing really well uh, in truly what is year one of the program. And Coach West talked about it last week. We, Eagleton is scheduled Maryville. Eagleton is scheduled uh, Heritage. Eagleton has played William Blunt. Eagleton has played Maryville Christian's varsity team, Knoxville Ambassadors varsity teams, uh, and has, has played well in those games when they played against Maryville's JV team. Had the lead going into the fourth quarter. Uh, played really well against Heritage JV. So it, it's fantastic to see the growth that they've had. Uh, and obviously those are, those are kids that, that we have in class. Those are kids that we coach in football. So those are kids that we know really well. So it's great to see that. With the uh, Eagleton Lady Royals, we, another great guy that hopefully maybe we can get on the show is Ian Britton. Uh, has done a great job with that program. Coming in, again, really year one of that of that uh, girls' high school program, beat Clayton Bradley early in the year, has competed against Knoxville Ambassadors, is, is playing that, that same schedule that the boys are playing. So they're playing Maryville JV, they're playing Heritage JV, William Blunt JV, uh, Maryville Christians Varsity. So Coach Britton has, has really come in has changed the mindset of these girls. You can see the confidence and growth in these girls on the court, in the classroom, in the halls, has really boosted their confidence. And that's a great thing to see. Obviously working on fundamentals, playing as a team. So we're really excited uh, to see what Coach West and Coach Britton have done so far uh, and then what's going to continue the rest of this season with the Eagleton Royals. And then moving on over to William Blunt over on the west side of the county. Uh, man, the William Blunt boys off to a crazy hot start. 14-0 um, and 0 after a big win last night. Um, uh, they're, they're at a, a tournament in Florida. Um, but starting off 14-0, and 0, it's a, I'm pretty sure that's a school record yeah. for best start of the year. Um, it's an unbelievable start for Coach Wendell and the guys over there. I love to see them have success. Coach Wendell, he's done a great job at building around Caden. And, and um, you know, Caden is his son, a junior over there. Um, done a really good job with, with being able to keep things rolling. Obviously, before the season, towards the end of last year, losing Matt Clemmer, didn't know what would, you know, turn out this year. Knew they had a lot of talented kids. Um, Matt Clemmer was a big part of that team last year. Um, but this year they're led by Caden Wendell at 23.6 points per game. Last night in their win, he had 35. So that 23.6 probably can go up yeah, a little bit. That's playing. Grady Robertson scoring 16 points a game and Bryson Stewart at 10.2 points per game. Um, I really think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the district. Um, you know, I've been around for a long time. I'm a Wimbledon grad. Um, I've been around there since my sister went there. She graduated in 06, so. You know, I haven't seen a team that looked this good, started off this well, playing as cohesive as they are. Um, 
you know, just top to bottom, Mayfield's playing really well, Riley Everett's playing really well, um, Click off the bench. I mean, they just have a, a, just a plethora of guys that they can go to. Um, but really happy for Coach Wendell, Coach Conley, guys over there at William Blunt. William Blunt's girls, 6-6 six and six on the season. And, and I got to tell you, I'm really impressed by that 6-6. Six yeah. and six. After what Coach Kallenberg lost after last year, I believe they lost – five starters and maybe their their first person off the bench yeah, was, was a senior, a senior as well. Yeah. You know, losing McKenna, losing Julia Combs, losing Taylor Stout, um, you know, I mean, a few other kids to, to do what they've done this year to go six and six. Um, their leaders right now, Savannah Darnell, Russell, Scarlett, they're, they're you know, fighting and, and scratching to stay at six and six. I think it's been a really good job by, by Coach Kallenberg. Yeah, then you look at Heritage High School in the in the foothills of the beautiful Smoky Mountains, and uh, the Heritage girls have always been a really solid program. This year they're nine and one on the year. Lost the uh, championship game in the tournament at at Heritage High School to Campbell County. So nine and one on the year for the Heritage girls. Uh, Carson Swaney, Becca Gardner, two really good players that are uh, great contributors for them. They're always going to be a very talented program. Always going to be super well coached. Rick Howard's a great coach. Uh, it's a great program over there. Uh, the boys are eight and four on the year. Also, um, doing really well. Um, Grant Campbell, Chase Ridings, Eli Williams, really solid contributors. It, it's it's always good to see um, schools that are in your local area and, and schools where you know coaches, you know players. <clears throat> to be doing really well. So, Heritage girls nine and one, great start. Heritage boys eight and four, also a great start. Yeah, Eli Williams, he's a freshman. Um, I, I watched most of the William Blunt Heritage game on on uh, TV, whatever. I don't remember if it was in if it. I think it might have been Diamond Clear actually, but um, really impressive looking young kid. Um, Grant Campbell, big six seven six eight kid. Former state champion in the high jump a couple years ago, um, he can he can throw them down. Uh, Maryville High School boys, uh, if what I'm finding is correct, they're five and five right now under first year coach Wes Lambert. Obviously, uh, Coach Lambert um, was a was a rebel. Um, was on some of those really good basketball teams. Um, I'm pretty sure he was on the state championship winning team back in '07. Obviously, his dad, who's also helping him coach, Randy Lambert, long time, extremely successful coach over at Maryville College. Um, a, lot of, a lot of talented players on their team. Um, obviously, uh, one we've talked about already, Matt Clemmer, uh, who was their quarterback this year, transferred over there. Um, Drew Eldreds, um, they've got some size too. They, they got um, Alex Ackard, who is 6'8. Eli Elkins, who's a power forward, small forward type kid for him, who's 6'4". Matthew is, is a 6'5", 6'6", type kid. Yeah. And then they've also got some uh, Nick Johnson who can shoot the lights out. He's son of the legend Matt Johnson, uh, teacher here at Eagleton, uh, assistant basketball coach. Um, you know, 5-5, five and five, they're, they're working out some of the new kinks. Being in a new system under first-year coach, but got a big win. Over Alcoa, are up for break, seventy to fifty-four. Obviously, big rivalry game. So that was um, 
you know, good for them to, to get that win. Maryville girls, they're four and five on the season under first-year coach Taylor Clark. Then you look over at the Alcoa High School boys. Uh, they're five and four on the season under head coach Ryan Collins. They're a really talented group um, led by Javen Carter. Kid can score. Um, he, he's, he can score from about anywhere he wants to. Um, I've watched a couple games just flipped on with him where I've been able to kind of see them. and He is a, a very, very talented scorer. And the Alcoa girls, 9-0 on the season um, under head coach David Ballman. Coach Ballman was the head coach at William Blunt when I was there. Um, great guy, really talented group of girls um, with Hayworth and the Fifers and um, that they're that's a team that should make a, a deep run towards the state championship there. So that's our around the corner segment for today. Just talking a little basketball. We'll continue to expand it and, and uh, hope to get some of those coaches that we talked about today on and, and talk a little bit about their season, especially as we get a little bit more into. Um, you know, district play and maybe get a little closer to sectionals and stuff like that. So now we're going to move over into the Power Five. And our Power Five this week is top five impact transfers in college football. This is something that three, four years ago we probably wouldn't really be talking about because back in the day when you transferred, you had to sit out a year. Now I've, I've heard it accustomed or called the Wild West you got guys transferring all the time. Like you said, JT Daniels is on his fourth team. But today we're going to take a look, and obviously there's many, many, many more than these top five, but we're going to look at our top five impact transfers. All right, so honorable mention for me, Shador Sanders to Colorado. Mm. Um, I think that he'll be a really big instant impact for them. I just think that they're maybe another season away from really making a huge impact um, on the Pac-12. Number five for me, Graham Mertz, coming from Wisconsin to Florida. We talked a little bit about Florida earlier and what, you know, what Billy Napier can do down there. Well, we know that football is driven by what your quarterback is. Right. Anthony Richardson was not good this year. No. Somehow, there are a lot of people saying he's going to be a top 15 draft pick. Uh, they must think he is wildly talented. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see it. But – Graham Mertz has been a pretty consistent quarterback at uh, Wisconsin. He is the type of guy that I think fits more what Billy Napier wants to do, and I think that um, he is going to be a, a pretty instant impact down there um, in Gainesville. Number four for me is Keenan Pilly from BYU to Tennessee. I think he steps in immediately and becomes that leader of your defense. He becomes that – instant impact in the middle of your defense where he's calling the defense. He's getting everybody aligned. Um, we talked about his physical attributes already, but I think that he just – what he does more than anything is he can come in and um, be the, the captain on the field that Tim Banks and Josh Heupel need. Number three, Devin Leary. I think this is a really good pickup for Kentucky, uh, transferring from NC State to Kentucky. They Kentucky somehow just keeps getting – these quarterbacks to transfer from um, schools like Will Levis from Penn State down right. there. Devin Leary's been good at NC State. I think he'll fit in at Kentucky. Um, I think he was a good pickup. Number two, and I went back and forth on this, I almost put him number one mm. because of how talented Georgia is as a whole. I think that they're always one or two guys away from 
you know, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. What do we? What is Georgia right now? Georgia's a powerhouse. Yeah. What are they close to being? A dynasty. They're close to being a dynasty. Yeah. And, and those are the, you know, they're they're you're always one or two guys away from from changing stuff. Well, Dominic Lovett w- was an impressive receiver over at Missouri this year. Um, he's transferring over to Georgia. Um, but at my number one, this isn't official yet, but everything tells me. Everything I've read says this is happening. Sam Hartman to Notre Dame, leaving Wake Forest. I think this is a really, really good pickup for the Fighting Irish. I think that um, couldn't have asked for a better quarterback to come in and, and um, for Marcus Freeman to, to build, you know, have a really good season next year and, and continue to build his program the way he wants to run it there in South Bend. My top five, we have the – the same players, just in a little bit different order. Number five for me is Dominic Lovett, the receiver from Missouri going to Georgia. Again, that's a big pickup. You look at Lovett's statistics from this past season at Missouri, 846 yards receiving, which is not eye-popping, but in that Missouri offense, that's really good. Uh, three touchdowns on the year. Again, probably a little hamstrung by quarterback play in the offense that's at Missouri. But now he's going to Georgia where – there's a plethora of talent, plethora of uh, opportunities to score touchdowns and get yards. So my number five is Dominic Lovett. My number four is Graham Mertz from Wisconsin to Florida. Again, quarterback-driven. We talk about the NFL being a quarterback-driven league. College football is also quarterback-driven, and you can't win without a quarterback. So Graham Mertz going to Florida. My number three is Keenan Pilly. Uh, BYU linebacker going to Tennessee for all the same reasons you said. Immediate game one starter, 6'3", 240, smart, can move, has tons of experience and tons of talent. Number two is Devin Leary, uh, quarterback from NC State going to Kentucky. Uh, Had a good career uh, at NC State in 2021, threw for almost 3,500 yards, 35 touchdowns, and five picks. So, can throw the rock. Uh, this past year, uh, with some injuries and stuff, uh, had a little bit of a down year, 1,200 yards, 11 touchdowns, but a big pickup for Kentucky. We'll see how well they can uh, play with him. Uh, but, again, another big transfer. And then number one, we've got the same number one, Sam Hartman to what all signs point going to Notre Dame. Seems like he's been at Notre at Wake Forest for about – 16 years, but uh, in his time at Wake Forest, he's thrown for 13,000 yards, 110 touchdowns. So, really good quarterback. Um, and then going to Notre Dame, he's going to have a lot more eyes on him nationally uh, than he would at Wake Forest. That is it for the Power Five this week. Moving into the Big Boys Corner Picks. Our Big Boys Corner Picks is always brought to you by Tennessee Bonding Company. If you find yourself having too much fun on New Year's and you're in a pinch, call Tennessee Bonding Company to reunite you and your loved ones. Serving Blunt and Loudoun counties and all other surrounding counties, ask for Courtney or Nate at 865-255-3361. I finally got you, Nick. It's it's taken four weeks, but I, I finally... Was able to pull it out. Not in a real impressive week for either of us. No. I, I was five and three. You were four and four. 
so so far through the four weeks that we've done this, you are 23 and 11, and I'm 21 and 13. So pretty tight, yeah. pretty tight battle, and we'll we'll carry this on through uh, um, the rest of the NFL season, playoffs, and all that stuff. And then we may throw something in there during baseball, but um, this week for our big boys corner picks. We're going to start off with Dallas and Tennessee. I'm not even going to talk about it. Cowboys. Cowboys. The Titans are terrible. Um, Second, Miami, New England. Uh, This was a tough one for me. Miami's going to probably be without Tua. Yeah. He doesn't need to play the rest of the year. No, I agree. They're jeopardizing the kid's career. He's had three concussions already this year. And – he needs to just sit the rest of the year. Like, I understand they're in the playoff hunt and all that, but they're a really talented team. And for those reasons, I picked Miami because I think Teddy Bridgewater is a, a really good backup quarterback. I think that with um, Tyree Kill and, and Waddle and what they have down there with Gasecki at tight end, and I think they're a talented team. I just don't think that you jeopardize not only a kid's career, but also his life. Yeah. He, that doesn't mean that you continue to trot him out there. He's going to get killed on the football field. But we know what has happened over the last 20 years with CTE and the you know amount of things that have came out about that. You just are, are you're subjecting him to more risk with the more that you do that. Let him sit. Let him be healthy until next season, and then figure out a way to protect him better. Yeah. Yeah, I so I'll pick I'll pick the Dolphins. I agree. I'm going to pick the Dolphins as well. Uh, even without probably Tua is not going to play this week. Even without Tua, like you said, Teddy Bridgewater is a very serviceable quarterback. Uh, New England just looks terrible. Mac Jones, past two or three games, has been very inept. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson's a good running back, but you can't win without a quarterback. So give me Miami. It doesn't help when you throw the ball to the other team on a last second uh, um, flea flicker crazy yeah. <laughs> deal like you did in Las Vegas. But um, they should probably start by firing Matt Patricia. You know, they have a Correct. defensive coordinator calling plays on offense. It's weird. Um, Denver KC. Denver fires Nathaniel Hackett. Um, that's Aaron Rodgers' boy. He's already been talking about him. Aaron Rodgers is just an odd character. But anyways, um, I got the Chiefs. I, I just – Denver – I've never seen a quarterback fall off like Russell Wilson. No. Last year, really good. Been really good his whole career. You thought, man, he's going to he's going to Denver. He's going to have Jerry Judy. He's going to have these guys, um, talented running backs. And they've been atrocious. He's been really bad. But Kansas City, probably by a lot. Yeah, Chiefs. Carolina, Tampa Bay. Um, I'm going to pick the Panthers. Um you know, they looked good last week. They're 6-9. and nine. This is a, a big game for Tampa Bay, um, leading the division. It's a big game for Carolina. We talked about this yesterday, but, you know, the NFC is still, you know, there's there's some teams kind of right there in the hunt, and if Carolina wants to have any chance of making it, they've got to keep winning. Um, Darnold's been playing pretty well uh, now that he's kind of been back in there. Um, something just tells me to pick the Panthers here. I'm going to pick the Panthers as well. Like you said, Darnold's been playing well, protecting the football. They've been running the football. Uh, picked up a weirdly, weird to say, a really big win against Detroit this past week. Beat them by 
20 points, I believe. So, um, and we talked about yesterday with Tampa Bay is that they're leading the division, and it seems like every time I turn on Tampa Bay to watch them play, they're down by 14 in the fourth quarter and come back to win against a mediocre or terrible team. Did against New Orleans. Did against Arizona this past week. But I think Carolina's playing really well. They're, they're trending up, uh, so I'll take the Panthers. All right, our next one's going to be Jacksonville and Houston. Who you got? Jaguars. I've got Jack, Jacksonville as well. Uh, need the Jaguars to lose, even though it doesn't really matter because the Titans are terrible. But um, I got the Jaguars. San Francisco and the Raiders. San Francisco. I've got I've got San Francisco as well. So far, we've picked all the same teams, which is okay. <laughs> Minnesota, Green Bay. Who you got? I'm gonna go with the Packers. Uh, the game's at Lambeau Field. It seems like finally. It, Maybe if Aaron Rodgers went to OTAs, he could, you know, get on the same page with his wide receivers, right? But it seems like the the Packers are playing bear, better now. Aaron Rodgers is playing better now, even though he's thrown for the most interceptions he has in his career this season. Um, eventually, Minnesota's going to have to lose one of these close games. We talked about it yesterday when we we're, were out with our buddies. They're 11-0 in single-score games which means they play a lot of tight games, but they know how to win tight games. Uh, they've already wrapped up the division. They're not going to catch uh, Philadelphia, probably not for the one seed. Uh, and Green Bay is, is right in the playoff contention, which, again, they're 7-8, and eight, which is really weird to think, but they're in playoff contention. So I'll go with the Packers in this one. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Vikings. I, I think for the reason you said, 11-0 and in one-score games, I do think it'll be close. Uh, give me the Vikings. I do think their luck's going to run out. I just don't think it'll be this week. And the last game we're going to pick, the Steelers versus the Ravens. Who you got? Ravens. I'm going to go with the Steelers. I, I originally put down the Ravens, and for some reason they keep winning without Lamar Jackson. I don't know if that's a good thing for him because mm. – he had a chance to sign a big contract, and I don't think he ever did. Right. But Tyler Huntley's played well. I just I, – I picked Pittsburgh last time, and it was a close game. And for some reason, I, I'm going to go with the Steelers again. So, we had two different ones this week. It was the last two, Minnesota Green Bay, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. Um, we'll see how that turns out. But that's our big boys' corner picks for the week. Again, that's brought to you by Tennessee Bonding Company. If you are having too much fun on New Year's and you need a bonding company, call Tennessee Bonding Company. Serving Blunt and Loudoun counties, all other surrounding counties, ask for Courtney or Nate at 865-255-3361. So that's our podcast for the week. Thanks for joining us here on the Big Boy Sports Corner. Remember to follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and like and share our posts. Be on the lookout here pretty soon for our national championship special. And from both of us here on the Big Boy Sports Corner, have a happy new year. And until next time, y'all be good.